we reached economies of scale every two weeks it was like oh my gosh are we going to make payroll i can tell you that a nice little cushion in the checking account is way more luxurious than a really nice office that you can't afford one of the beautiful features about our office was that if the coffee maker was on and the microwave would ding the fuse would blow the servers were on that same circuit and they would also go off and restart and so we would be answering phone calls blindly and just a lot a lot of adventure in those early early years okay i'm jill nelson i'm the founder and ceo of ruby receptionist i'm here in portland oregon and i am 53 years of age this year and the company ruby was founded in 2003 and today we are the voice of about 10,000 small businesses. We help them win business and create great experience for their clients and customers with real human friendly interactions over the telephone as your receptionist and online handling your live web chat with real people. Can you tell us like a basic use case of why someone would call y'all and try to be a service for their business? One example might be one of our home service customers. So let's say you are in the business, you're in the landscape business, or perhaps you do some house maintenance, roofing or gutter cleaning, and someone is in need of a new roof. And perhaps they've been given names by friends, perhaps they've been looking online and looking at reviews. And guess what? If they call you and you answer and you are friendly and listen to them and want their business, chances are you're winning that business. It's really that plain and simple. And when you're not available because you're on the roof and you're unable to get that client call, you are most likely losing that business to your competitor. It's really that simple. We understand that, you know, the pain points of that small business owner. I actually started Ruby as a very, very small business owner and you're wearing many, many hats. You're doing the job, running the business, you're managing employees. The ability to get to every single phone call can be really challenging. So that's where Ruby comes in. And because of our technology, we're more than just answering your phone. We have information about your business. We have specific instructions we can follow and we're able to pass through the important calls that you want and save you from interruptions by handling and taking messages for the calls that you would like to handle later. That would be an example for a roofer. Another case would be our largest segment of customers are the solo and small firm attorneys. And similar in, in situation, oftentimes one new case or one new client could be in the tens of thousands of dollars over the lifetime of that client. And oftentimes it's that phone call that is the make or break moment of do they become your client. Beyond that, we're finding, especially for a small business, that in order to differentiate yourself and possibly the reason you went into business is you had a sense of pride around how you wanted to take better care of your customers. Your customers are probably coming to you for that personal experience. So just getting voicemail or no answer at all or an impersonal answer, it doesn't live up to most of our small business customers' idea of what they want their brand to be. And so we're really a partner that can bring peace of mind to that small business customer, knowing that there's a friendly person on their team always there to answer and handle that caller. Even if someone maybe like who's listening has like work from home business and they want to look like they're a bigger company, sure. for example, they might employ you guys. So whoever's going to call whatever business number on the website actually goes to you guys first. You pick up hopefully in a friendly manner and then say something and then would call my cell phone and I'd pick up from there. 
For a lot of our solopreneurs, we really are their phone service as well because our service is that live receptionist piece, but it's also the telephony piece too. So we provide a phone number that our solopreneurs or even small businesses can publish as their own phone number or we can port their phone number in. That same phone number has a texting ability. So we provided our mobile app, a texting platform to communicate with customers. And then that solopreneur that's working from home or on their cell phone, they can actually make calls from their cell phone and it will publish the idea of their business number, protecting that veil of keeping your cell phone private, but also giving you that sense of your callers, a sense of, hey, I'm in the office. I'm calling from my business IDs. Many of our solo and very small customers don't have a phone system or a phone service to go along with Ruby. We are their receptionist and we are also their phone provider and they're welcome to bypass us when they want to get the calls themselves or put us on backup mode so that when they can't get to the phone, it just automatically comes to us and it's all included in your service. So yeah, I think again, it's important, like you said, attorneys was a good example because they always probably want to have someone that looks like they're, I don't know if the proper word is secretary now, you know how everyone is about something like that, but, or like I said, any solopreneur, but you want to look bigger and you want someone to be able to pick it up when you can. It seems like your company is the perfect service for that. Actually, I don't think I've even told you, well, because I used to actually be a client of y'all's, I guess. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah, my old commercial real estate business, I did it for, I think maybe a year or so, but I think it was a good method of like, hey, if I wasn't there, and this was kind of before even Google Voice too. So it was like when you add all that onto it, especially then is very helpful. And again, kind of trying to add that stigma of like, hey, you know, you're not just one person shop. You want to have someone else there. I think that's what it's kind of most important for some users if they don't want to look like they're just a one person business working from home. Absolutely. It, how you come across is really important to how your customers feel about you. And so can you give us an idea about revenues and company size? Yeah. Just last week, celebrated as Oregon's record holder of consecutive years on the fastest growing private companies list at 12 consecutive years. So this year, our run rate is this quarter over $60 million of annual revenue and get close to 70 by year's end. And we have about 623, or we have exactly 623 full-time employees on the United States across three centers in Portland, Oregon area, and one in Kansas City, Missouri. Sorry. If you have about 623, you're either about to fire somebody or hire somebody. <laughs> we are always growing. One thing about Ruby is we grow. So it's a moving number at all times. How long have you had the business? I started the business in 2003 with a $17,000 401k that I emptied out and asked a friend to work with me while we figured out how to make this happen and got a small business loan and hired a couple employees and opened an old sculptor studio in the Pearl District of Portland, Oregon. Nice. All right. Well, yeah, before we jump back to, the, I guess, the very beginning, is there anything else that we should probably know about your business overall? I think you did gave us a couple of good examples, but I don't know if there's anything else in general that we should know about before we take it to the beginning. It's been a journey and we started out as a very traditional receptionist service. Today, I would say the technology piece of it is just as important to provide that personal experience and keep the service economical. And I think that's another thing is quite economical compared to hiring a full-time person. So the mobile app that goes with our service that we know when our customers use it regularly keeps the receptionist informed. It gives a much better customer experience. So it allows you to integrate your calendar 
so that we know if you're available. It allows you to integrate your contacts if you would like so we know who your familiar callers and who your VIP callers are. And you can even select who you'd like to send directly to voicemail or bypass the receptionist entirely. So because of the technology, we're really able to provide a personal experience for that customer and really sound like we're right there in your office and giving you that feel of being bigger. So I think that's the other big piece. Yeah, I'll say another thing too, I guess if you're talking about technology and probably how things have changed since 2003 when you got started, how about the spam calls now? Those spam calls, they're just so irritating and we certainly obviously help our customers by taking them off their play and having to be distracted by those robocalls are just so distracting. There's been legislation that passed this year, so we actually do expect them to decline pretty significantly by end of year, but we actually partnered with a technology firm. So now included with your service is essentially free robo blocking. And so we'll send those calls. We'll just send them directly to voicemail, you know, on the off chance that the robo call your kid's school saying school's closed or something like that. And that allows you to eliminate robo calls from your calls, even if you're using our number, but not the receptionist. And again, we kind of talked about a solopreneur and a lawyer, but even if someone had like maybe a three-person business or five-person business, because that's kind of what I think about when I'm thinking about your service, like who would help the most? It seems like that to me. But if you had like a couple people on a team, it would still make sense to use you guys versus just having a one person or one user? Oh, absolutely. I mean, in different size companies use us different ways. Up to about even 10 employees, our customers will use as their receptionist as well as their phone service. So we'll post their main phone number and then people use their cell phones for us to answer, you know, to transfer calls to, they'll use our voicemail. Above 10 employees, generally there's, well, I guess it depends on the type of business, but they'll use a desktop phone provider. We're partnered with Nextiva and we'll be integrated essentially into their phone lines, allowing us to dial extensions, but all the way up to hundreds of employees. We certainly have a number of larger companies that have an office person that does handle phone calls, but those phone calls are so important that we're essentially programmed in backup mode or, you know, when they go to lunch or breaks. So yes, all size companies use us. Once call volume gets pretty high, then we start to be less economical. As long as your phone volume is important, but modest, we're generally a great solution, no matter the size. Yeah, because again, it makes sense. Like you're saying, that's why lawyers or somebody like who big deals kind of matter, right? So those big volume deals, I mean, if it's high volume and you're not getting, it's not that value is not there for you, then maybe it doesn't make as much sense. Especially like, I think everyone's changing where people are trying to, I mean, we talk about virtual assistants, but this is a different idea of like, outsourcing any staffing things you can do instead of hiring maybe a phone person at your front desk for 30, 35,000 bucks a year or whatever, you could use someone like you guys to go ahead and take care of that. Where again, you're outsourcing some part of the business that you don't want to necessarily hire someone full-time just to sit there and maybe do data work that you don't need them to do. Basically kind of saving costs and have uh, hopefully someone nice on the end to hopefully, you know, help you get that call completed and make a deal. So yeah, exactly. How about personally too? We had talked about that at this point in time, are you about to take a step away from Ruby? I am. I am. So after 16 years, I have announced my retirement. And so as soon as we have found the perfect CEO, we'll make that transition. I'll step onto the board. I did sell a majority of Ruby to a private equity company in 2014. And so sort of worked with them a number of years. And now I'm excited to take a break and sit back and sit on the board with them and let someone else lead the charge. So is that exciting for you? I'm very excited. I obviously been doing a lot of reflecting and I'm so, so proud of 
the company that's been created, the jobs that have been created, the small businesses that we've helped grow, the level of service that we've provided, the culture that we've created. And it is its own thing now. It's almost like watching a kid go off to college. It is pretty strong in its, or very strong in its foundation and really less and less has my stamp on it, you know? And one of the things about being an entrepreneur that I've noticed, I'm a super creative person. I am an idea person. I like to activate things very, very quickly. And while the business grows and it creates new and more interesting challenges and you get the benefit of hiring amazing skilled people, you get to put your hands in things less and less and you get to be less creative and more sort of systematic and adopt practices that other companies use as best practice and companies of similar size. So it's really interesting watching the skills that you need to access and how your day gets formed really just uses completely different parts of your brain. And sometimes I would say, you know, it's a little bit of a mismatch. And that's been an interesting journey. So I'm really excited to take a step back, also looking at helping other small businesses grow, other entrepreneurs get started, get involved in the angel community. It just, all these creative juices start sparking again. I remember, oh yeah, that's, that's what got me in here in the first place is creativity. Sorry to interrupt your podcast. If you need qualified leads for your business, let Lease, a sales rep, do it for you. If you need guaranteed appointments with decision makers who are interested in your product or services, let Lease, a sales rep, do it for you. If you need outside sales teams to get contracts for your business, let Lease, a sales rep, do it for you. And if you need demos for your software and you need to present that in front of decision makers who are in the market now, let Lease, a sales rep do it for you visit lease a sales rep.com to learn more or call us at 212-518-2477 is there something that interferes with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals well better help online counseling is there for you connect with professional counselors in a safe and private online environment and you can get help on your own time and at your own pace. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your online therapist. If you're not happy with your counselor for any reason, you can request a new one at any time for no additional charge. BetterHelp is available worldwide with over 3,000 USA licensed therapists that you can talk with about any issues and anything you share is confidential. Best of all, it's truly an affordable option. Millionaire interview listeners can get 10% off your first month with discount code millionaire. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com forward slash millionaire. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love. That's betterhelp.com forward slash millionaire. Payroll and benefits are hard especially for small businesses. You don't have the time to be an expert in things like taxes and regulations. And old school payroll providers just aren't built for the way you work today. Gusto is here to change all that. They're making payroll, benefits, and HR easy for small businesses. In fact, nine out of 10 customers say Gusto is easier to use than other payroll solutions. Gusto also saves you time. 72% of customers spend less than five minutes to run payroll. Don't believe all the good things you're hearing about Gusto? 
Well, just Google them. People love Gusto. And how often do you actually hear someone say they love their payroll provider? So to help support the show, go to gusto.com forward slash millionaire. They're offering our listeners an exclusive limited time deal. You'll get three months free once you do your first payroll. And again, the link is gusto.com forward slash millionaire. I haven't had a kid, but I imagine it's like having a kid and having them go to college and yeah, now you're free again. Exactly. It feels a lot like that. <laughs> well, it sounds like you're in like the perfect reflective mood of your story. And I think a point that most entrepreneurs want to get, because I guess you haven't been on the board yet or found a new CEO yet, but you're right at that point where, again, most people want to get to. So if you wouldn't mind, again, why don't we go ahead and jump back to the beginning and find out how you got to where you are today? One of the things that I think has led Ruby to be the success. And while I am very, very happy to be in this position, I did not start Ruby for the end in mind. I was really passionate about the idea. I was very passionate about wanting to help small businesses and I wanted to solve a problem. And I was really curious about whether or not this idea of this live virtual remote receptionist would be something that small businesses would value. And so problem solving testing things, having things fail. That's all part of the fun. And building something was the passion, not the exit. So people have asked me like, gosh, did you worry about failing when you started? And then they say, gosh, did you ever imagine yourself here when you started? And the answer to both questions, I think is no, I did not think about failing, but I also did not think about succeeding. I was just really knee deep in the problem that I wanted to solve for small business and the problem solving and creativity that went with that drove the business to grow. And then from there, it was really a matter of survival. That first year where business, you could tell you were onto something, you could tell your customers loved what you were doing because they were sticking around and they were referring other customers. If you think about the receptionist and how we charge, you know, it's just a few hundred dollars a month generally for our service, but we have to staff for the entire day because part of our value proposition is we are going to be there and answer every single solitary call live. So if you can imagine in those early days in our sculptor studio, I had to staff, I had to hire four receptionists before we even had one single phone call and had to train them. I had to buy technology. I had to sign a long phone contract with personal guarantees and all of that. I kind of had to go all in before we even were able to open our doors. And then we'd sit around and wait for the phone to ring. But of course, the phone wouldn't ring like evenly. It would not ring at all. And then it would ring five different calls all ringing simultaneously. And so we had to staff for that. And so cash flow was just really just a constant, constant challenge. And I had my QuickBooks, but I also had my separate Excel spreadsheet that I used to track dollars in and dollars out and what to expect. For that first year, until we reached economies of scale, every two weeks, it was like, oh my gosh, are we going to make payroll? It was really dicey back then. But at the same time, I had so invested everything. like I would have entirely bankrupted the family. So there is literally no going back. It was just powering through. That was 2003 when you started? Mm-hmm. So how old were you when you actually started it? Okay, so I was 37. And sometimes people ask me about being an entrepreneur or, you know, they are looking what to do in their life. And I realized like 
I totally just bounced around all the way up until age 37. I've had no meaningful, well, actually, you know, I did spend years as a receptionist to a business broker and had a small stint as a business broker, but really no significant career up until I started Ruby. This is the longest job I've ever had. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to ask because you told us that you emptied out your 401k monetarily. So when you started this at 37, you were all in, like you didn't have much savings. It sounded like when you started this thing, especially when you're hiring four people and have no revenue coming in, that's kind of scary. Yeah. And I did write a business plan and I got a SBA loan to go along with that $17,000. How much was the loan for? It was $75,000 and that really helped, but it was, and we bought a little phone system and I hired those employees. And again, it just took so long for the revenue to actually be break even. Before that happened, I learned that the phone system that I had purchase that I was led to believe would handle us up until 2,000 customers actually maxed out with no upgrade past 200 customers. And little surprises like that all along the way where you're like, oh, I have to invest in a you know, new phone system. It's just managing cash in those early years is just so critical. These little things, these little hiccups or whatever you find, I mean, every business owner has it no matter what they're doing. Maybe you didn't know you had to file taxes your first, you know, for your own business or say things like that. Or maybe you had to have a license and you didn't realize that. So there's all these little things. But before we dive in more in the details here, why did you want to start Ruby Receptionist? I know you said you were a receptionist at like a business brokerage firm before that. Or did you just have a light bulb that you're like, hey, I think this would be a good idea or what actually happened with it? Yeah, that's a really great question. And the time, there's two things like, why did I want to start a business period? And why this business? I was not working and I was spending time in my son's classroom. And when he was in grade school, I think he thought that was wonderful. And then he hit middle school and all of a sudden he didn't like me in his business all the time so much. And I had this, you know, gosh, I really need to figure out something to do or, you know, I'm going to he's going to be talking about me a lot in therapy, you know, as an adult. So The mom who won't leave me alone. Yeah. And so I think I always had been like, when I have a business, especially those years as a business broker, and I took that receptionist job specifically because I was really interested in learning about, was a business brokerage. And, and it was such an education because I got to see so many businesses come through the doors and then I would work up their cash flow analysis and valuation and for the business brokers and really learn like what was attractive about businesses and what was sustainable and started sort of curating like, oh, when I have a business, I want this or that. The kind of business that came across the door that I just really fell in love with was this concept of executive suites. And we do have Regis today, but today the modern executive suites is the co-working spaces like the WeWorks and such. Back then it was, you would take class A office space and you would rent out small offices and you'd provide that shared receptionist, shared secretarial, conference space, the likes. And I just thought that was so cool. And so that's actually what I wanted to do. And I'm here in Portland, Oregon in the Pearl District. It was just coming of age. It was old industrial, then arts district. And today it's really bustling with lots of live work. And I just thought that was the perfect place to put an executive suite. So that actually was what I was going to do. I was going to put an executive suite in the Pearl District. But I mentioned earlier, I had no money. I had $17,000 and I had no business experience. So I could not find a landlord that was willing to build out an entire floor of class A office space on my behalf. So really got shut down before I ever started. And that's where, you know, I had to 
pivot again before it even got off the ground. And so I was like, all right, I can't do that. What can I do with the resources I have? And I started thinking about those pieces of the executive suite office that I could do without the space. And I started really noodling on that phone piece and felt like, well, gosh, the phones need to be answered. But the only thing people have today is like an answering service, but everybody hates answering services. They sound terrible. You know, they're an answering service. They're not able to be helpful and they don't work during the day because they can't get the calls to the party. And so I just started noodling on that. And how could I really help small businesses during the day as a receptionist? And is there technology out there? And just went searching for it. And so the original iteration of what Ruby is today was an executive suites without the real estate. So we did offer administrative support services and all kinds of things that absolutely did not scale, especially in the age before, you know, Dropbox and other shared work apps. That was pretty smart. I'd like that concept too. I think it's pretty cool. It's just like owning real estate, right? If you lease an office space and then subdivide it, it's just like pretend that they're like one apartment building and 10 units or something like that. It was good that you realized for that guy to build it out for you would have cost a lot of money and you couldn't even get him to do it or get anybody to do it. So it's smart to be like, hey, what portion of my idea can I do that doesn't cost a lot of money? And it sounds like this is kind of how it evolved, at least in the beginning. It did. And it was really lucky too. And there's another sort of accidental evolution that happened before we launched too. And that was being a national service from day one. Because of this executive suites concept, I was thinking local and I was going to provide the service locally. And the first person I hired was also someone coming out of being a stay-at-home mom. And she loved getting up early. And we started getting calls because we had our website up before we launched. And we got those calls from people on the East Coast. And this first employee said, gosh, I would be happy to come to work at five in the morning. And then I could be home when my kids get home from school. And so I was like, okay, great. And so instead of Portland, Oregon phone numbers, we appeared toll-free numbers. And we were a national company from day one, just basically off of a pivot from someone being willing to work early. Yeah, that's pretty cool. It's kind of lucky too that that actually ended up working out that way. Because again, you're just taking that one point of you not being able to do these little offices. And instead, again, you were just thinking local at this point and you're able to pivot. You're like, oh, well, at least now I can do national. I mean, for you to do that nationally would cost a lot of money if you want to do your own little offices and subdivide them all across America. Exactly. Tell us a little bit more about your first location where the first receptionist that you were training, you said you hired four of them without any revenue, it sounded like at first. I mean, were they working from home or did they have their own office? Like, tell us about that. Yeah, no, it was really, really the most stressful time of the entire journey. We did call quality is really important to us. And the technology back then was very different. I mean, there's so much happened in the last 15 years. So we bought a phone system. We had to buy software that we found. It turns out the software was actually in beta mode when it hadn't actually been released. So we went live before the actual software was released. And that's okay because we didn't have any customers, so we didn't have any calls, so it was okay. But you know, we had the employees, they had to come here. It was an old sculptor studio that there had been a sculptor. I'd been there 19 years. And so every day you'd come in and there would just be this new layer of dust film on your computers and your floor and you'd sweep it up and somehow the next day it was like right back there again and the software that we had bought we really had to sort of make do with something off the shelf that really wasn't designed for what we wanted to do and so it was really goofy and the phone rang at literally every station for all calls and we had this system that involved a bell and a paper clip throwing to figure out who was supposed to answer the whose turn it was to answer the call and 
just a lot of scrappiness because it was a sculptor studio, the electricity, the circuitry was not very advanced. And so one of the beautiful features about our office was that if the coffee maker was on and the microwave would ding, the fuse would blow and the servers would, were on that same circuit and they would also go off and restart. And so we would be answering phone calls blindly and just a lot, a lot of adventure in those early, early years. So I guess anyone who's listening now and has similar situation with office that doesn't feel originally you're even looking at class A office building, right? Yes. So this is obviously kind of the opposite. It sounds it's important to still like even now you can look back on that and appreciate, I guess, where you are now with the offices and stuff. So any words of advice for anyone who's kind of in those early stages and maybe in those, I guess, a sculptures place like you were? <laughs> the sculpture studio. I mean, I think really the focus when you're first starting out is how are you getting those customers? How are you serving those customers? And everything else kind of doesn't matter. You know, when you have the revenue, when you're safe, and I can tell you that a nice little cushion in the Checking account is way more luxurious than a really nice office that you can't afford. Yeah, that's important points because, well, speaking of, you said you told us you had a loan and you had about 17K. So it sounds like a little under, I guess, 90K or so for you getting started. Tell us how long it took to actually kind of get profitable here. Because again, when you have four office members at that point in time, are they trying yes. to like cold call and get you clients? Like, what are they doing in the meantime while you don't have any revenue coming in? <laughs> Mostly our receptionist sat and waited for the phone to ring. But because one of the things that we learned early on about the phone system that we bought was that it actually required a physical phone for every customer that we had. So one of our receptionists in the afternoon shift, she would come in and she was a student too. And she would come in and get on eBay and try to buy lots of these telephones in any color, any you know shape of condition. These lots of phones were like $10 a phone so that we could expand our service. And then I was mainly doing everything else during the selling, during the customer support. So it was super, super scrappy. And we made up systems that today would just completely not scale, but did what we could. And then, you know, it took another thing about startup years. I always thinking in the future, always thinking of what can be next. And I think one of the reasons that we grew and that we are Oregon's record holder for consecutive years on the fastest growing list is I totally invested every single solitary spare dollar of cash flow back into the business to, to continue to grow, to continue to shed hats, you know, to invest and help. I was working seven days a week all the time. And so, I mean, there was a point which it was in my control of how profitable we wanted to be, but we really didn't reach free cash flow total profitability until probably six or seven years later. Um, and then we went and borrowed another half a million dollars to invest in our IP software that, that essentially still runs the company today and a big new phone system to get into the next era to stay relevant. So just when you think you've arrived, you double down and go again. Well, it seems kind of weird, like even the first couple of years when you're saying you're working this much, I mean, that seems like a lifestyle change for you. If you were going to your son's elementary or middle school, imagine yeah. <laughs> an hour or two a day for five days a week. So now you're saying you're working seven days a week. What was motivating you in those early years to do this thing? Yeah, that's everything was motivating me. I think that's one of the things about when you're starting a business, it's got to be something that you're passionate about because it is all consuming. And I do think as much as stressful as it was, it was also super rewarding because you know I was learning about like back then our first customers actually came to us through Google AdWords, pay-per-click, and it was totally new. 
And, you know, I was home exploring it one night and could experiment with ads that were relevant to us for 10 cents a click. Today, I think we're, they're in the high tens of dollars, possibly even over $100 for those same clicks. But it was just constant learning and figuring out and problem solving and creativity and talking to customers and then, you know, get the reward of them saying how wonderful you are and then needing to hire more people. I mean, it's just one thing after another. It's a complete learning journey. And it just was completely self-motivating, I think. Well, how about personally? Because again, you told us you had a son. I mean, did you have a husband at home as well? Yes. And that is something that I, to say, really, really fortunate because while I did risk the family fortune, not that there was a fortune, but I put us in jeopardy, I did have the benefit of being able to work without pay for nearly two years. And that is because, you know, of stable employment by my husband at the time who had stable employment and so really fortunate and recognized that I had that going for me. On the flip side, in that age, I think a lot of us face where we have kids. I call it the sandwich generation because oftentimes we're all consumed by our work and we're sometimes in the top of our game and career or just really, you know, growing and investing a lot of time in our work, but we also have children and then our parents start to age and need us more too. And that same couple of first years at Ruby, my mother who suffered from mental illness a good chunk of her life, but was had been stable on great medication for 10 years, had decided to stop taking her medication and had, you know, major psychotic breakdown that involved really day in, day out sort of traumatic experiences on her part and me trying to help get her back into the fold and ultimately having to go through court proceedings to become her legal guardian and all of that was going on during the first year to, I guess, probably the fourth year of starting Ruby. So it was just really one of those times that you're just so in it that you can't even think about being out of it. There's no way but through. Well, how about your husband at the time? Did he have a uh, job? Did he have his own business? He had a job. He had a very stable job with a networking company and which had great benefit and just, you know, I would say middle class income that allowed me to be able to focus on this. The other thing I would say about him is I was like, oh my gosh, what if I bankrupt the family? And he was like, eh, whatever, <laughs> you know, we'll just start again. Part of my concern too, well, I'm asking because maybe I'm in a similar situation where my wife has a good job, right? And then I'm starting my own business and then it takes a while to make money, right? So tell us about dealing with that. I feel like almost every entrepreneur goes through this too. And I don't think I've discussed it even enough. It's just like, okay, your one partner might be making a good salary, decent salary, middle-class salary, whatever, versus you as entrepreneur, you're working your butt off, if not the same, at least more growing your business and then not having money come in. And you're wondering, like you were saying, you're worried maybe you might bankrupt the family and doing all this. Is it worth it? Just tell us about that experience, if you don't mind, if you ever had conversations about that and how we deal with that. You know, I think every relationship is different. I do get to engage with a lot of different entrepreneurs. I think for me, because I hadn't been working, the fact that I was now working, but not necessarily contributing to the family income wasn't that big of a shift, you know, but for others that go from being, you know, two partners contributing to the income to, you know, one working just as hard or harder, but essentially going backwards financially, there is that pressure to like, hey, at what point 
do you say this is enough? You know, at what point do you say, okay, invest more or go on forever? And I think it is never just one person. I don't believe in self-made people. I think we all lean on others from our learnings, our support, our financial support, but we also have that obligation to others too. And so we have to balance what are we able to risk at the sense of if I was to bankrupt the company, I would have bankrupt the family too. So I think that has to be considered. And I think it goes back to when you're starting a business, you know, where is that passion coming from? And I think one of the things that can be really derailing is when we fall in love with the business idea, but not necessarily the problem that we're solving for our customers. And we can be blinded by our own ideas of what is fabulous. And if it's not a viable product or service, you have to find that out very quickly. So the idea, like I did write a business plan, I did get a bank loan. Those were all sort of proof points that I was onto something, that it had validity in the market. And somehow you have to decide, like, is it a viable business? Does it have a business model that at some point you can see that it will provide the income that a good sustainable business does? If you don't do that work and you can't see that, are you being responsible to yourself? If you run your own business, you're used to doing it all. But if you're struggling to get through your to-do list, well, HoneyBook can help. When you started your business, did you dream about all those admin tasks, like drafting proposals and contracts, and tracking down payments? If that wasn't part of your vision, you need HoneyBook. HoneyBook is an online business management tool that organizes your client communications, bookings, contracts, and invoices and it's all in one place. HoneyBook makes it simple to run your business better. Professional templates, e-signatures, and built-in automation keeps everything on track and makes you look good. They can even consolidate services you already use, like QuickBooks, Google Suite, Excel, and MailChimp, or even Gmail. It's the number one choice for client and business management for freelancers and business owners. Save time and do more of what you love with HoneyBook. And right now, HoneyBook is offering our listeners 50% off when you visit honeybook.com forward slash millionaire. Payment is flexible and the promotion applies whether you pay monthly or annually. So go to honeybook.com slash millionaire for 50% off your first year. That's honeybook.com forward slash millionaire. Let's be honest, most people weren't taught how to invest in school. And if you're like me, you've probably wondered, why does Wall Street seem to win so consistently? Online Trading Academy wants you to start knowing now. As a leader in investing and trading education, Online Trading Academy teaches people just like you, step-by-step, a process designed to help you make the right moves in the financial markets. You'll discover common investor mistakes, learn about risk management skills, and how to develop a personal income and wealth education plan. It's simple to get started. Online Trading Academy's flexible learning style lets you take classes at one of their more than 40 financial education centers or in an online classroom from the comfort and convenience of your home. Students have given Online Trading Academy a 94% satisfaction rating based on more than 190,000 reviews. No one will ever care about your financial future as much as you do. So now is the time to start learning how education could help you take better control of your financial future from now on. 
And a strong economy is the best time to prepare for a bad one. What would you do if you knew skills designed to help you generate income and build confidence toward your retirement goals? Get started by joining more than 500,000 people who have attended one of their free classes. Their free online education class opened up my eyes on how the markets work today, and they can do the same for you. It's really a free, valuable education tool that you can't get anywhere else. They'll cover different trading and investing strategies you'll be able to use on a daily, weekly, or even annual basis. So sign up for a free three-hour introductory trading and investing class at otatrade.com forward slash YOLO. That's a free class in your area. Register at otatrade.com slash YOLO. You'll even receive their professional insider's kit just for attending. That's otatrade.com forward slash YOLO. Again, taking control of your financial future today with no obligation. If it took six or seven years to get profitable, maybe you're still making obviously profit, but you're putting it back into the business. But I guess a good enough point where you felt comfortable, would you say it took about six or seven years? Let's see. Yeah, I think cash flow has, was always a stress until maybe 2011. But I did start paying a salary in October of 2004. So I would like to say that I did carve that out to say, hey, you know, I am working full time. A sustainable business needs that. And then essentially all the profits went back into the business. How much did you pay the owner on a salary basis? <laughs> I paid myself a salary of $110,000. Well, then you were actually doing very well, it seems like a year, a year in. I mean, that's very comfortable living for an entrepreneur. I guess even after a year, then you felt like, okay, I'm okay. I mean, we all have these stresses, right? When we're growing our business. But I guess I'm just trying to allude to if even early on, if there are any points where you were thinking about closing down the business or any of these big jolting points that, again, maybe I'm not doing the right thing. It was such a momentous train that there was just never have I thought about shutting down the business. There have been times that I thought that we would be going out of business. There was the economic downturn of 2008, 2009 that I worried at the very beginning that just what was going on around us was going to take us down. It turned out that was really our year where we solidified our value proposition and we grew our customer count 30% in 2009. Yeah. And that's actually when I became a customer because, well, that's what I was thinking is I was almost think the opposite, right? Because people are cutting costs of those receptionists, like you're saying. So it actually worked out better. So that's good for you, obviously. Obviously a very stressful time for our customers and what was going on in the economy. But yes, it did turn out to be a great time for us. And the other time that I thought that was really make or break was when we did get onto our own software and the software that we had been using that was out of the box because we had grown so much, it was just breaking every single solitary day. And then when we got onto our own software, we had no opportunity to test it ever. And it was really like, gosh, when we use it at capacity, at our volume of calls, will the database be fast enough to handle it? Will it freeze up? Like we really won't know until we go live and it would either work or not. There was no backwards path. And that was another time where I was like, well, it's either going to work and we're going to keep on going or this will be the end of us. And we'll know on May 1st, 2011. These were the things you weren't thinking about when you started the business day one? No. <laughs> I mean, like databases and dealing with all this. It's funny, as you grow as an entrepreneur, all this more technical stuff you even start learning, right? That's just probably you never even had a clue of when you started, I imagine, right? No. Oh my gosh, no. But the technical stuff, I probably thought about more than the people stuff. I think I have continually underestimated the investment and learning about people and working with people and how to be a leader and how to manage people. I think that 
by any measure, I underestimated the investment required there when writing the business plan and thinking of starting a business. Okay. Well, yeah, if you don't mind, let's dive into that because I mean, I'm perfectly aligned with everything you're saying right now. I feel the exact same way because again, most business people is like, okay, if you go implement and make something more efficient in your business, whether it's the software or whatever, you can see the actual fruit of your labor or whatever that is going to keep being more efficient. But then dealing with people is a whole nother thing. And especially with your business, even with the reception, it seems like there'd be even more human interaction that you have to deal with that. Again, I think a lot of us, if we hire someone, we're like, they should be kind of happy to gave my job, right? But you got to do all these other things that you're like, what the hell? Why can't you just work as hard as me? I got to do all this other stuff. But again, if you don't, then there's going to be issues. Yeah, I think, well, I did have the advantage of when I was an employee, I was a terrible employee. And so I knew that employees needed to feel a sense of, hey, I love what you're doing. I want to be a part of that. The things that you're asking me to do make sense. But I did, like when I wrote my business plan, it never occurred to me that anything other than, oh, I would hire exactly the right employees and no training would be required. They'd act, you know, there'd be some sort of brain meld where they would instantly know exactly what I would like them to do and they would do it perfectly and they would show up. And they're all going to be best friends. Exactly. And the beautiful big lesson that I've learned along this time is how we all, you know, we have those shared ideals many, many times, but it is a unique path that each of us walk and it is that set of experience that shape even how we perceive things and what motivates us and what we care about and all of those things we bring to work that create challenges about how do we communicate and all get on the same team and all row in the same direction. And sometimes that's impossible, which, you know, I've also come to understand that Ruby can be a wonderful, wonderful place to work for many, many people. But there are some in which this is just not some place that they're going to enjoy or thrive and, and that that's okay, you know, and we're all different. We all have different skills that we bring and we all have different passions. And the better we can match those up with what's available, the happier everyone is. So I didn't ask at the beginning, as well as now, why did you call it Ruby Receptionist? So Ruby, actually in the beginning, it wasn't Ruby Receptionist. And actually we're moving towards, we're doing a rebrand with our chat acquisition. And so we're dropping the receptionist. Um, most likely that's a, that's a sneak peek to that. But in the beginning, because I was thinking about that executive suites and because I was thinking about all the different things we would take off those small business owners plates called the business work source. And so when we finally reached that level of where we could afford to hire a real branding company help us. And that was in 2005. So that was, you know, two years into the business, again, sort of reinvesting everything back into the business. They were like, well, we'll work with you, but only if you change your name. And what was the name initially again? It's WorkSource Inc. Oh. I know. <laughs> and they're like, you know, and furthermore, we think your business should be a woman's name because your business is about the human connection, a personal connection. That was actually the first person to really sort of put words to that, which you know, I couldn't agree more today. That's our mission. And they were like, you know, your business is about that human connection and a woman's name personifies that. And I was like, yeah, that makes total sense. And then we sort of started down that path. And then I was home watching very silly, but fun movie down with love. You know, I guess that was 2005 and it's sort of this theatrical set in the with a pop modern feel of the 1950s. And I was like, oh, that's it. I want our name to hearken 
back to an era where personal service was the norm, but be fun and modern, you know, a nod to, you know, today's technology and the modernness of our company. And so Ruby was a name that was popular in the 40s and 50s. And the logo itself and all the branding was really trying to bring in a fun and personal and modern take on that. How much did you have to pay this firm to help you come up with this? I don't remember as much, much less than what they charged us every year as we both grew. And then they redesigned our website. And I want to say back then it was just a few thousand dollars. But over time, they became a great partner to us and things got much more expensive. <laughs> so did you come up with the name or did they? They came up with Ruby, yeah. Again, if everyone's listening auditory, I mean, unless they can go to your website, call ruby.com. I think your branding is like... I never like really say this to a lot of other businesses. I think it's awesome because to me, it looks almost like the Jetson cartoon with the woman on there, you know, it's just yeah. like, it's very friendly looking versus I use the uh, Wayback machine. Are you familiar with that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, you can go, even go back to your website right when it started in what, 2005 and see versus WorkSource versus Ruby. WorkSourceInc.com. <laughs> yeah. I see Inc.com. I see the member login I can click on there, but I don't see the pricing, but it's all right. Now you got it on there now. Yeah. It's actually even still basically the same, but it looks very sleek, especially probably back then. Yeah. I mean, imagine in 2005, there were a lot of people weren't thinking about the style and stuff. And I think that's a good selling point, obviously for your business. Yeah. Well, thank you. It makes me a little nervous because we're going through a complete rebrand and ironically bringing the human connection, we relied on the Ruby illustration, relied on illustration. And as we got bigger, it became apparent that we really need to connect with our customers and build trust with real pictures. And how do we do that without looking like your typical stock photo of person with headset on? Right, exactly. Yeah. So we're trying to keep the same personality, but rebrand with a more modern and using real photos of real rubies to help our customers so to connect with us even further. Okay. Oh, yes. Why don't we jump back into the story in our limited time? Is there any points over the last 15 years that you think are good reflection points for us to learn on how you grew your business and could help us with ours? Oh, gosh. I think that... Because again, we got probably about six or seven years in. So I don't know if we're about... If we should keep it chronologically still or where you want to jump to it. So yeah, 2011 was a huge, huge, huge year for us. We got on our software that we built ourselves and we really looked at if you look at where Ruby is today, frankly, I am surprised to sit here and say phone calls are as relevant, if not more relevant than ever, because they are the differentiator that we have seen time and time again through stories, but also through data that phone calls win business and they're really an important part for small businesses to set themselves apart. But we could have easily stayed the same and not be here today. And so I think evolving and always thinking about how can we be better for our customers and what are our customers dealing with today and how are trends changing and how do we need to be there for people and the rise of ride sharing apps like Lyft and Uber and shopping cart like Instacart really helped us helped I think the the world or at least the United States say hey I can get personalized service exactly the way I want it controlled by an app and that helped us you know, we really had to pay attention to how we stay relevant. And so 2011, getting on our own software, 2014, taking investment and really reinvesting in the customer-facing technology so that we can be integrated in their lives. And finally, taking over that telephony piece so that we're not just providing reception service for a few hundred dollars, 
month, we're also saving customers a phone bill. Those journeys along the way are really, it's always about the customer and staying really, really interested in how do we continually do better by them. And I think that's the lesson of continual growth. I think people side of the equation is also a continual lesson of learning really tough lessons. You know, a humbling one that I had to learn is this notion that I'm a pretty passionate person and I am as passionate talking to my former bosses or my current board members as I am to colleagues or employees. And that's not how most people are. Many people will look at you as a position in leadership and they won't feel comfortable speaking up and they won't feel comfortable going toe to toe on something they disagree with. I've had to learn painful lessons about that, that sometimes of losing valuable employees. Well, can you give us an example of that? Well, let's see. In 2015, I thought we all had great working relations. Did not like my management style. Felt I was too critical, that I was in their business too much, that things that I would say were not kindly said. And I had no idea. It wasn't that I was like, oh, I know I'm hard on you sometimes. I literally had no idea how it made feel or how it motivated them. And essentially, I got to hear it from all of them at the same time. And that was not at all. But yeah. I am grateful. And I'm grateful to learn that lesson. Where it was like after 12 years in business, still having to learn these human lessons, you know? Obviously, that stinks, right? When everyone's confronting you about maybe this thing that you even have no idea about. I think we've been in positions where that, even if it's just one person, it kind of sucks. But if you have multiple people saying, you know, the way you talk to me doesn't like make me feel good or whatever, and you have no clue, that kind of stinks. So like, how did you change that? Maybe one of us are doing that right now. We don't realize it. Well, I think one of the big things to realize is as the leader, your words, they just carry a different weight. They mean they feel different. Yeah. And can I add on to that? Because I remember I've heard this before is that a boss can say one negative thing and they will remember that forever versus you saying five or six positive things and that just goes by. So I definitely kind of understand that. So yeah. So I think the way that I reacted when I heard that was obviously it was not fun to hear. But the reality of the situation is I totally thought the world of that team and that's not how I felt at all. So I had to be curious and try to understand that disconnect. Why were they feeling that the way I was communicating to them made them feel like I didn't value them, that I didn't think they were doing a great job. And so I had to be curious. I had to try to create a comfortable space for them to be able to speak freely. And I had to resist being defensive. And then I both had to make a commitment to them about what I committed to do better. But I also had to ask essentially two things. I had to say, hey, in order for this to get better, you have to give me the opportunity to do better and not judge me by, by the past. And when I do better, that we can say, okay, I do better and not have to, if you're only going to judge me by the past, we'll never get past this, if that makes any sense. So I had to ask them to allow me to grow, essentially, and do better. And then the other thing is I had to ask of them to be able to speak more frankly to me so that I could get better feedback too. 
and that was the other side of the equation. I, I just didn't see it. I didn't see it at all. I was never, ever told. And then I have to do a better job of creating that space so people feel comfortable speaking frankly. I am somebody who wants people to feel good about the job, especially when I really, really value them. And if I'm not doing that, then I'm doing something wrong and I want to do better. So obviously, yeah, that was a difficult situation. I mean, looking back, is there one other or what do you think was the hardest thing for you to overcome? So we stay motivated and saying, you know, if Jill was able to get through that, then I can get through whatever I'm getting through in my business. Yeah, I touched on this a little earlier, but the biggest, biggest challenge I ever had was juggling, trying to be cash flow positive when we were just starting out and then dealing with my mom and becoming her legal guardian while she battled um, really debilitating mental illness. And to be on the other side of that makes me feel, wow, I can get through a lot. Well, again, thanks for coming on, Jill, and sharing your story. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Yeah. If you have any last words of wisdom for anyone who's listening, what would that be? Stay curious. And if someone wanted to say thank you for doing the interview, what's the best way for them to reach you? Oh, thanks for asking. Jay Nelson at callruby.com. Well, thanks again for joining us, Jill. Thank you, Austin. Have a great day. We appreciate you tuning in to another episode of Millionaire Interviews. If you're looking for other service-based interviews, then consider episode 36 with Dan Fantasia or episode 26 with Tarang Gosalia or try out episode 25 with Zach Smith of Funded Today. This awesome podcast is now approved by Spotify. So if you'd rather tune into our episodes via the Spotify app, then just go ahead and search for Millionaire Interviews. Millionaire Interviews.